0: So good morning listeners and welcome to it Inspirations being produced here in our Sea studio here in Ada. And this the 33rd Sunday in Ordinary time. It's the 17th of November. My name is John Keely. Thank you again for joining us this morning. And how about to produce the, to produce the program as usual. Shane Ambrose. How are you Shane? Good morning John. How are we doing today? Thank you very much indeed, Shane. And I found my wife. She'd come back and join us again. Good morning, Joanne. How are you? Hello, John. Hello, Shane. Thanks a lot for joining us again this morning. Uh, and of course, we also want to especially welcome those listeners who join us each week, Those, especially those who are housebound, lonely, and struggling in some way. Um, but I know one thing, we're so grateful for all of the prayer support they give us. And I know you tell us that as we meet you around the locality here in West Lemming um especially those people who listen to us at night i keep on forgetting but there's so many people apparently who listen to us on the 11 o'clock 11 o'clock slot each sunday night just to repeat again and let people know uh, our our program is broadcast and sacred space it's a a program here in west limit 102 at 10 a.m and 11 p.m each sunday but we can also be heard around the world so we can be heard uh, at and, and see inspirations dot com. I'd safely say if you were to Google Come and see Inspirations, you'd probably get there anyway. Come and see inspirations dot com. Our programs are up there for the last few years. But for the last ten or eleven years our programs are on our blog, which on Sacred Space one or two uh, dot blogspot.com that's sacredspace102.blogspot.com and in more recent times um, our programs are available for those who have an account with Spotify so that's all thanks to Shane Elbows thanks a lot for all the work you do there Shane in, 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 in terms of trying to keep me on track too in publishing hmm. and publishing and putting things up and so on and so forth thanks a lot Shane so as usual our program this morning will include again Shane will share some saints for the week with us in part two, we're going to start a series of reflections by Father Frank Dewick from Newcastle West. I asked Fr. Frank there some time back to give us a reflection on the Mass. So we split it up into various sections. The first part of that we'll, we'll be broadcasting today in part two. And of course in part three then we will, um, as usual, reflect and um, proclaim the Word of God in the Sunday Gospel. Uh, at this part of the programme, maybe I should just let people know again about our text number, WhatsApp or text number. That's 087-6088-667. That's 087-6088-667. Or you can email us and that's sacredspace102 at gmail.com. We would like every now and again, if listeners have the time, maybe, maybe to send us a comment about the program, whether you, something you might like about the program, some something you might want us to start doing in the program, uh, doing it a, diff, a different way. We're, we're open to all ideas. We're also open for people to join us if, if they want. If you wanted to text us or, or email us on any of those suggestions, please do so on the text 087-6088-667, email sakerspace102 at gmail.com. And, of course, you might meet Shane and or myself around West Limerick from time to time. And maybe just give us a little word in the ear as to what you might like, what your comment might be. Shane, you might want to Shane, share the saints for the week with us at this stage, please.
1: Sure, John. Um Now, uh, so, as you said, we're in the 33rd week in Ordinary Time. So, for those praying the Psalter, we're on week one. So... Uh, just looking at the, the, the kind of the liturgical calendar for this week, we're obviously coming in towards the end of the liturgical year. Next Sunday is the Feast of Christ the King, which marks the end of the church's year before we move into Advent. And obviously, if you're just looking at the readings, uh, both the readings, the Sunday readings today, but also the readings during the week, they're taken from um, uh, the books of the Bible that deal with things uh, around um, kind of, passing of time and the end of times so that we're, we're hearing a lot of activity from maccabees at the moment uh which is about the great persecution and restoration uh in 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 in, in jerusalem but anyway in terms of the liturgical calendar so t- uh monday the 18th of november we have the feast day of the dedication of the basilicas of saint peter and saint paul So this follows on from the uh, dedication uh, anniversary that we had, was it last week or the week before, which was the dedication of John Lateran in Rome. And, of course, the basilicas that we're talking about here are St. Peter's Basilica in Rome and the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls, both of of which, of course, are the sites, tributed sites of the burials of the saints, St. Peter and St. Paul. And, of course, as we know, uh, the remains, the relics of saint peter were found in the 1940s underneath saint peter's basilica which pope paul vi confirmed when he was in charge and as we know of course recently some small fragments of those relics have been uh, given as a gift by pope francis to the um patriarch of constantinople but obviously the you know the bulk of his remains still remain in in the vatican uh similarly in i think it was 2009 uh, we had the year of St. Paul. So that was when Benedict XVI was able to confirm that the remains of St. Paul are actually in the Basilica of St. Paul outside the walls. And of course, the, the St. Paul's side of the walls, so-called, because of course it was outside the walls of the ancient city of Rome. And of course, the main thing that we associate with St. Paul's side of the wall is ecumenism because it's where the, pra- the ceremonies for the week of prayer for Christianity unity are um, focused in the city of Rome itself. Then moving on to Tuesday, now, this is an unusual one, John. Um, looking at the calendar, there's nothing actually specified. But looking around on the international calendars, we come across this unusual feast. It's Our Lady of Providence, or Our Lady of Divine Providence. Very much Italian-Spanish feast, uh, associated very much with Our Lady in her role as, as helping to provide for those in need. Very much associated with the story of the miracle at Cana. So that's what we celebrate Our Lady under Her Lady of Providence or Divine Providence on the 19th of November. Then on the 20th of November, we have the feast day of St. Basil of Antioch uh, listed in the Roman Martheology. That is the the list of Romans, of the saints of the Roman Catholic Church, rather. And all we know about him is that he is a martyr. We don't know anything else. So that's St. Basil of Antioch on the 20th of November. On the 21st of November, we have the feast day of the presentation of the Blessed Virgin Mary, originally a feast day of the Eastern Church and was included on the, on the Western general calendar in the 16th century. And it's obviously a feast day which celebrates Mary in her life uh, when she was wholly given over to the Holy Spirit and is her is the presentation of her by her parents, Joachim and Anne, in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, it comes from the Proto-Evangelicum of St. James. It doesn't come; it doesn't have its source in the canonical Gospels. And like we said, it originally was a feast day in the Eastern Church before it came uh, across to our own calendar. Uh, one thing just in relation to the feast day, it's a feast day very much associated with um, female religious orders. It is often a day when profession is made or first vows are made or uh, associated with things like that. Then on the 22nd of uh, November, we have one of the big feast days of the church year. and It's the feast day of St. Cecilia, virgin and martyr. And of course, the main thing we associate with St. Cecilia is that she is the patron saint of church musicians and uh, music. And she is a 2nd or 3rd century Christian martyr. And tradition had it that she refused to worship the Roman gods. And she was beheaded for her trouble. Very popular saint down through the centuries. And um, generally would be associated, um, as I said, with music. In art as well, um, the reason why she's associated with music is that uh, on her wedding, she sang in her heart to the Lord because she didn't really want to get married. And, And the interesting thing, of course, about Saint Cecilia is that in addition to Mary as in Jesus's mother, she is one of only seven women whose name is commemorated in the Eucharistic prayer. So Saint Cecilia is up there with Agatha and Agnes. She's one of the saints the female saints commemorated in the, um, in the Eucharistic prayer of the church, Eucharistic prayer number one, what used to be called the Canon of the Mass. And she, her church, the Church of Saint Cecilia, is in Trastevere in Rome. And it's a beautiful church. I've been in it myself, and it's well worth a visit if you are in Rome. Then finally, on on Saturday, the 23rd of November, we have the feast day of St Columban, very much, of course, associated with the Irish calendar. St Columban, or St Columbanus, uh, born around 543, a monk of Bangor and principal teacher. He went on pilgrimage for Christ in 591, And he set out across Europe with 12 companions, of course, initially went to Burgundy in France, associated monasteries in Isle and Fontaine, uh, which were under what was called the Irish rule or the rule of St. Columban. Uh, He went then on to Austria. And of course, his famous and most famous foundation is the great monastery at Bobbio near Genoa, where he died in 615 and where to this day his shrine is maintained and where he is buried and he is remembered as one of the greatest of the Irish missionary monks, and he is one of the patron saints of Europe. So that's John, who we celebrate on Saturday, the feast day of St Columbanus. Thank you, Shane. Question.
0: Mm. I, know, I know you'll be able to answer this one again, because you just said it early on. On Monday, the, de- mm. de- the dedication of the Basiticus. Now, you mentioned early on that the relics of St. Peter, or a small few, were given away to whom, did you say?
1: So there was nine pieces of bone in a case given to the Patriarch of Constantinople. That's Patriarch Bartholomew. He is one of the principal, but not the head, of the Eastern Orthodox Church. So he's based in Istanbul in Turkey, and Saint, or, sorry, Pope Francis made a gift of the relics to him uh, in June. Caused a bit of controversy at the time. Uh, a lot of people misunderstood it. There was a lot of misunderstanding. People thought Pope Francis had given all of Saint Peter to Patriarch Bartholomew, which of course didn't happen. Um, so it's 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 yeah. So it, 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 it he uh, and as well as that, of course the the see of Constantinople as we call it the, the 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 new third Rome or the new Rome is dedicated of course to Saint Andrew um whose feast day we celebrate the week after next. So um Good. and he, the, the, the patriarch is considered first amongst equal in the Orthodox Church, but he is not the Orthodox Pope, as some people mistakenly call him. And all of Saint Peter was not given away. That's why I asked you the question. Yes. Yeah. I know. It's, it's 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 an important point to make. There was a lot of coverage. Mm, there was on a lot of websites. Uh, it it just it went very viral very quickly, and it was absolutely ridiculous. Actually, what happened was in the 1960s, Pope Paul VI had uh, some of the relics of Saint Peter put in a box, a reliquary, and they were kept in the chapel in the Apostolic Palace in Rome. And what happened was, of course, Pope Francis said, and this is what he's wrote, written in his letter, he doesn't use the Apostolic Palace, of course. He doesn't live there anymore. Mm-hmm. So there's no the, cha- the chapel is not used that often in mm-hmm. the Apostolic Palace. So he said, well, you know, why not give them as a gift to Constantinople? So that was that was the idea behind it. But, of course, the vast majority of the bones of St. Peter still lie within its sarcophagus, um, straight underneath the high altar in St. Peter's Basilica.
0: Thanks again, Sherry, for clarifying that. Okay, just before we get, we ask Anne now to pray this spiritual communion prayer, uh, which we're trying to pray every Sunday here on the programme. Uh, just two little notices. Um, the Advent Retreat, uh, this is the Newcastle West annual Advent, Advent Retreat, which is open, of course, to people from all of the parishes, will take place on Saturday, the 30th of November, in Advert Retreat Centre. The bus leaving in the car park in Newcastle West at 8.15, back again at 5.30pm. The cost for the day, including the buses, is €40. Euros. So please book your place as soon as possible by giving your name and telephone number to the sacristy in Newcastle West or ring in the parish office 069 61816. That's the Advent Retreat, taking place Saturday the 30th of November. And just a reminder again for people, Lecture Divina takes place each monday uh, eight fifteen to nine fifteen in the Paris Centre in Newcastle West there's about twenty to twenty two of us twenty three of us sometimes uh, join that group we find Father Frank leading us into reflecting on uh, the sunday gospel it's a great way of finding out what the gospel's all about in fact what the Bible's all about. It's a wonderful, uh, easygoing uh, session. You don't have to say anything if you don't want to. You can just listen away. Uh, there's lots of interaction telling us, and uh, we share as to how the gospel for that particular day is affecting our own lives. So again, 8.15, 9.15, the parish centre, Newcastle West, uh, on every Monday night. Now, this part of the programme, and might pray this prayer before reading, uh, sorry, excuse me, the spiritual communion prayer, especially for those who can't receive Jesus at Mass this morning. Thanks, Anne.
2: My Jesus, I desire to receive you into my soul. Since I cannot now receive you sacramentally, come spiritually into my soul. I embrace you as already there. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from you. Amen.
0: I mean, thank you for that, Anne. So now we go for our first bit of music. And this piece of music this morning is a piece of instrumental music, and it's entitled, it's from the actually from the Christian Music World Group, and it's entitled, I Want to Follow Jesus. So let's hear this. So, at this point of the programme, um, I'd like to welcome Father Frank Duick from Newcastle West onto uh, the programme, who's agreed to give us a reflection on the Mass. So, thanks, Father Frank, for, for joining us. Very welcome, John. Where would you like to start in terms of talking about the Mass?
3: Well, I'd, I'd like to go back, uh, John, to two things that Jesus said towards uh, the very end of his life on earth. Uh, the first words I would like to focus on are what in fact were the final words uttered by Jesus in St. Matthew's account. You will remember where Jesus said, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptise them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe all the commands I gave you, and know that I am with you always to the end of time. That last line know that I am with you always to the end of time leads us into the other words of Jesus that I want to focus on in this first reflection and these words are the words spoken by Jesus at the institution of the Eucharist at the Last Supper and I quote from the Gospel of St. Luke Then taking a cup he gave thanks and said take this and share it among you Because from now on, I tell you, I shall never again drink wine until the kingdom of God comes. Then he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He did the same with the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, Poured out for you. That is the moment on the night before he died when Jesus instituted the Eucharist and gave us this extraordinary treasure that we call the Mass. Now, to come back to those earlier words which I emphasized a few moments ago know that I am with you always, yes, to the end of time. Now, it is through his ongoing presence to us in the Eucharist that Jesus fulfills in a particular way that promise to be with us always to the end of time. In taking part in the celebration of the Eucharist, we are responding to the command of Jesus at that first Mass to do this in remembrance of me. In that earlier quotation, we heard Jesus say, Go therefore in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And it is appropriate that the opening words of the Mass are taken from these last words of Jesus. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
0: So continuing on our reflections, Father Frank's reflections on the Mass, I suppose a question to ask Father Frank would that it was a matter of great importance to Jesus to leave us this gift of the Eucharist before His return to the Father. Why do you think this is so important
3: to Jesus? I see the Eucharist, the Mass, as Jesus' parting gift to us. You see, Jesus came on earth to sacrifice himself for us and to redeem us. This was God's most powerful way of expressing his love for us. And Jesus knew that what was about to happen in those days immediately after the Last Supper would change our world, our lives forever. When Jesus would offer himself on the cross, body and blood for our salvation. And knowing, as he did, how significant those events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday would be for humankind for all time, Jesus wanted to leave us a way of reenacting and connecting with the momentous events of his death and resurrection. What happened on Calvary was that Jesus gave himself body and blood for us and that is, what is reenacted for us in the Mass. This passion, death and resurrection of Christ is known as the mystery of our faith. We will all be familiar with the acclamation of our faith after the consecration, where the priest says, the mystery of our faith, and the congregation respond with, Christ has died, Christ is risen, Christ will come again. Or another response is, we proclaim your death, O Lord, and profess your resurrection until you come again. So when Jesus gave us the gift of the Eucharist, he enables us to connect forevermore with this great mystery and to reenact it. And of course, what Jesus does at Mass is give us the gift of himself, his body and blood. No greater gift can anyone give than to lay down one's life for one's friends, Scripture tells us. And of course, we make this connection with the cross at every Mass which begins with the sign of the cross.
4: Jesus, in my life I see
0: if you can say a word about the repeated greetings and salutations and responses in
3: the Mass please yes well first I would like to mention the sign of the cross at the beginning of every Mass these words were first used for all of us when we were baptized in the name of the Father Son and Holy Spirit and their use at the beginning of Mass reminds us that the Eucharistic gathering is a gathering of of the baptized. In the earlier church, the unbaptized were not allowed to be present for the whole celebration of the Mass. The Mass only makes sense in the context of the faith as a whole. So the sign of the cross at the start of Mass reminds us that the Mass is a reenacting of Christ's passion, death, and resurrection. And when the people respond with Amen, they are saying, I agree, I believe that I am entering into his death on the cross. The different forms of greeting which we use in the Mass are all taken from Scripture, frequently from the writings of St. Paul. For example, the Lord be with you. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. It seems that these and other greetings were used frequently as a standard form of greeting by the earliest Christians in just these words. St. Paul uses them very frequently. The phrase, the Lord be with you, has been made sacred by use from the earliest times reaching back indeed into the Old Testament. Some of us of a certain age will be familiar with the Latin phrase Dominus Vobiscum, the Lord be with you. So there is a case to be made for not modernizing these phrases, like, for example, to say God bless all here, instead of the Lord be with you. The language of the Mass is not the language of the street. I think the Mass requires its own language to a degree. For example, in going into a neighbour to their house, we wouldn't say, the Lord be with you. Something like, God bless all here, would be more appropriate there. So in that sense, a somewhat different language is more apt. Similarly, with the response to that greeting, a sign, a slightly different language, Uh, for example, on entering a house, an appropriate response to God bless all here would be, and you too. Whereas a more proper response to the Lord be with you is, and with your spirit. I think these few Thoughts might help us with the greetings and language of the Mass.
0: Every Mass, we always have what we call the penitential rite. Could you say a few words about
3: the significance of that, please? As we pointed out, uh, John, in our previous reflections, it was to redeem us from our sinfulness that Jesus died on the cross. We're all sinners to a greater or lesser degree, and it is that sinfulness that has the power to lead us away from God and if serious enough, uh, deny us salvation. When I say we are all sinners, I think we should not respond to that too negatively. To say we are all sinners is to say that we all fail in some way or other to live up to God's commandment of love. Love God and love your neighbour. And that is an extremely challenging commandment. It would be a brave person indeed, a blind, or foolish person who would say, I have no sin. That would be the same as saying, I haven't been unkind, I haven't been impatient, I haven't been uncharitable, I haven't been untruthful, I haven't been judgmental, I haven't been boastful, I haven't been conceited, I haven't held a grievance. I haven't failed to forgive, and so forth. Which of us can say that? When we acknowledge our sinfulness at the beginning of Mass, we are acknowledging that Christ needed to die for us, for me, not just for others. Of course, the huge benefit of acknowledging our sinfulness at the start of the Mass is that we are opening our minds and hearts to God's wonderful mercy. It takes humility to acknowledge our need of that mercy. And in the confiture, the I confess, we confess our sins to Almighty God and to one another. We say, I confess to Almighty God and to you, my brothers and sisters. And we do this aloud in the congregation. Indeed, some of the people we have sinned against may be there participating with us in the Eucharist. And how fitting we look for forgiveness as we approach the altar to listen to the word of God and to receive Jesus. We express our request for God's forgiveness in the confitier, or an equivalent penitential rite, and in the Lord of Mercy, the Kyrie. Sometimes the penitential rite is replaced by a ceremony of sprinkling the congregation with holy water, recalling our baptism, which of course wipes away original sin.
0: After the penitential rite, we frequently recite the Gloria. Could you say a little about that part of the Mass, the Gloria? I realise this is not used in every Mass, but it's, since it's used in most Sundays and in an important feasts, I thought it would be a good idea to get your reflections on it, please.
3: Yes, John, I, I would like to comment a little on the Gloria. The Latin title of the Gloria is Gloria in excelsis Deo, Glory to God in In the highest heaven. That phrase occurs first in the hills outside Bethlehem after the birth of Christ when the angels announced the birth of the infant Jesus to the shepherds. The glory is not used in every Mass, as you say, but it occurs on a high percentage of the Sunday Masses. Ideally, of course, it is meant to be sung as a hymn, it's a hymn of praise but it is still quite proper to recite it without singing. It is inserted there in the Mass as a great prayer of praise to God. I suppose in our Catholic tradition, we're not that strong on the praise of God in our regular daily prayers. Now, we do have such phrases as praise be to God or God be praised, But if you look at prayers we find in the scriptures, we find that theme of the praise of God all over the place. It is particularly strong in some of the Psalms. The Gloria very much brings out the attitude and language of the worshipper of God. For example, in the Gloria, you have in quick succession five verbs, expressing that sense of worship. We praise you, we bless you, we adore you, we glorify you, we give you thanks. There is a kind of an exuberance, an enthusiasm, a joy in those words that jump out at you. It goes on to give Jesus various titles like Lord Jesus Christ, Only Begotten Son, the Lamb of God, Son of the Father, the Holy One, the Most High, and so forth. So you can see how that prayer, the Gloria, rejoices in the role Jesus has been given by the Father in relation to us. And just after the Gloria, we have what is called the Collect, or the Opening Prayer of the Mass. It is a prayer said by the priest that always catches something of the meaning and theme of the Mass. There are two other such prayers, always said by the priest. One is the prayer over the gifts at the offertory and the other is the post-communion prayer towards the very end. I want to praise you, Lord, much more
5: than I do. I want to praise you, Lord, much more than I do learn to seek your face and the knowledge
4: of your grace. I want to praise you.
0: Father Frank, the whole first part of the Mass is called The Liturgy of the Word. Could you speak a little bit
3: about that title and especially about the reading of the Word of God at Mass? Yes, that's true, John. That first section of the Mass is called uh, The Liturgy of the Word. And later we will see that the second half is called The Liturgy of the Eucharist. Um, Both Word and Eucharist are ways in which the Lord is present to us in the Mass. I suppose traditionally we Catholics are more familiar with the Lord's presence to us in the Eucharistic species, in his body and blood. But the Lord's presence to us in his word is also a very important reality. So in this part of the Mass, the Lord is present to us In his word. You note the reader says at the end of the readings, the word of the Lord. And the priest says at the end of the gospel, the gospel of the Lord. We speak of Christ himself as the word of God, as for example in the word became flesh. There we are describing Jesus as the word, God's most profound utterance, as it were. Jesus is God's self expression, as it were. It means God made his most profound communication with us when he sent his Son into the world. It takes a bit of getting used to the phrase, the Word was made flesh. Now, when we use the expression, the Word of God, to describe Scripture, we use it in the same sense of God's self expression. God's self-utterance. So when the scripture readings are read at Mass, we are speaking of God's self-expression as proclaimed aloud to the listening congregation. The word of God that is read at Mass in the first and second readings can be taken from the Old or the New Testament. The Old Testament readings can be strange or obscure but they too are important because they show how faithfully and painstakingly God built relationship with his people. How he slowed down to our pace, as it were, and patiently walked with his wandering, stumbling, often faithless people. Usually the second reading is taken from the New Testament, Most frequently the writings of St. Paul, also the Acts of the Apostles, the account of the early church. And the Gospel reading, of course, is always uh, taken from one of the four accounts of the life and teaching of Christ that we call the four Gospels.
5: To you in the silence, I will lift you from all your fear. You will hear my voice, I claim you as my choice. Be still.
0: So welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keely. So join in studio here by Anne, and Shane is still with us on the other end of the Skyline. Part three, as people would know, at this particular stage is where we read and reflect on the Sunday Gospel. So the Sunday Gospel for today, the thirty-third Sunday in ordinary time, is taken from Luke. But before that, we'll invite Anne to pray a prayer before reading and reflecting on scripture. Thanks, Anne.
2: Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, humbly, and attentively. May we not despise this word, which receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, <clears throat> so that receiving the word In truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed, nor our minds wander. But may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this father, in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms. Jesus Christ, our oh Lord. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Anne.
0: So, as I said, the Gospel for today from Luke, chapter 21, verse 5 to 19. When some were talking about the temple, remarking how it was adorned with fine stonework and votive offerings, Jesus said, All the things you're staring at now, the time will come when not a single stone will be left on another. Everything will be destroyed. And they put to him this question. Master, they said, When will this happen? And what sign will there be that this is about to take place? Take care not to be deceived, he said, because many will come using my name and saying, I'm he, the time is near at hand. Refuse to join them. And when you hear of wars and revolutions, do not be frightened, for there is something that must happen, but the end is not so soon. Then he said to them, Nation will fight against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and plagues and famines here and there. There will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all this happens, men will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and to imprisonment, and bring you before the kings and governors because of my name. That will be your opportunity to bear witness. Keep this carefully in mind. You are not to prepare your defence, because I myself shall give you an eloquence and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to resist or contradict. You will, be, you will be betrayed even by parents, brothers, relations and friends, and some of you will be put to death. You will be hated by all men on the account of my name, but not a hair of your head will be lost. Your endurance will win your lives. So this is the Gospel for this day, the 33rd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Shane, you got a thought or two
1: you might want to share with us, please? Um, sure. Um, it, it's, it's, yeah, I would safely say probably anyone that has to stand up and give any kind of a reflection of this particular Gospel based on the liturgical calendar is probably pulling their hair out a small bit. It's one of these ones, you're not quite sure um, where to go with it. I suppose the first thing is context is everything so jesus is talking to people that were admiring the second temple in jerusalem which was one of the most impressive uh buildings and it at its time uh beautifully constructed and decorated um contributed very much by herod the great uh the irony of course about it was that while it was the center of jewish life and the center of jewish devotions at the time um Say jesus lived was in jerusalem around say 30 to 33 ad the temple was destroyed by the romans around 63 between 63 and 70 ad um so and it and there wasn't there was hardly a stone left standing on it of course we see some evidence of today with the wailing wall in jerusalem but it's all that remains um so of course the whole thing was you know jesus was turning around and saying these things too shall pass this this building won't last and of course you know, I that'd be like someone turning around and us saying to us today, well, you know what? Um, I don't know, maybe something like, uh, I don't know, say the customs house in Dublin or something like that, you know, will, will, will disappear. And for us kind of going, well, that person's obviously slightly mad in the head. But I think for me, I suppose the thing that comes out of this Sunday's gospel is that Jesus is trying to, A, give a warning to people. Um, we don't know either the hour or the time or the place when things will happen. And so for those that try to turn around and tell you that they know, I suppose it's a case of just ignore them. Um, secondly, I suppose the other side of it is that um, we live in, a, he, he was saying that, you know, there will be trials and tribulations. Now, if we just, you know, and they, they, have, they have always been the case down through history. And even in our own day, just looking around war and famine and, and storms and plagues and all the rest of it, And again, Jesus is saying, you know, to be aware that um, he is with us and that eventually he will strengthen us to get through the trials and tribulations of our daily lives. So I think for me this weekend, I suppose the thing to focus on in that gospel is very much about the promise of that Jesus will be with those who call themselves Christian, those that follow, in his, follow his teachings and who dare to say that, you know, call them him Lord and Master.
0: Thank you very much, Neil, for that share. My own little thought in it, just, just a very quick one there. Um, again, I, I picked this up on one of the websites that I look at every now and again, A Sacred Space, Living Space. It's, it's a beautiful Jesuit website. One of the thoughts that came through there was the end of the world. In, in regards to our universe, m- m- might be far away, or we may think it's far away. But we may be fortunate to live in a society free from wars and ethnic strife and famine and natural disasters and so on and so forth. Yet there is another end we'll have to face, which is totally outside of our control. The end of our bodily life, here. Are we ready for that? There's only one effective way to prepare. To live each day fully in the company of Jesus. We do not prepare for the for the end by guaranteeing our future, by building empires and so on and so forth, but by living fully with God, for God at every moment of every day. And maybe just one final one, again, it's one of the options there for the Gospel and Acclamation this week. Stay awake, pray at all times, for the strength to stand with confidence before the Son of Man. So that's the Gospel for this week again. Shane, thank you so much again for joining us and, and, and Anne. And, of course, a special thanks again to, to Father Frank Duick again for sharing the first part of his reflections on uh, uh, the Mass, and it, it will continue again with that section, with that um, series of re- reflections next week. So, again, from Shannon and Anne and John, thank you very much, Nick, for joining us. We'll go out with a final piece of music by John Michael Talbot. Maybe appropriate. This one is entitled God Alone Is Enough. Talk next week. God bless you all now. Bye. Bye.
5: Bye-bye now. Trouble you and let nothing frighten you, for everything passes, but God will never change. will obtain everything Who has gone Once for now,